0: Hi everybody, Carla here, and welcome back to another episode of Carla Reads the Classics. Thanks so much for tuning in tonight. Let's continue with Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. Chapter 30. Sir William stayed only a week at Hunsford, but his visit was long enough to convince him of his daughter's being most comfortably settled, and of her possessing such a husband and such a neighbor as were not often met with while sir william was with them was with them mr collins devoted his morning to driving him out and his gig and showing him the country but when he went away The whole family seemed to return to their usual employments, and Elizabeth was thankful to find that they did not see more of her cousin by the alteration, for the chief of the time, between breakfast and dinner, was now passed by him either at work in the garden or in reading and writing, and looking out of the window in his own book room, which fronted the road the room in which the lady sat was backwards. Elizabeth at first rather wondered that Charlotte should not prefer the dining parlor for common use. It was a better-sized room and had more pleasant aspect, but she soon saw that her friend had an excellent reason for what she did, for Mr. Collins would undoubtedly have been much less in his own apartment had they sat in one equally lively, and she gave Charlotte credit for the arrangement. From the drawing-room they could distinguish nothing in the lane, and were indebted to Mr. Collins for the knowledge of what carriages went along, and how often, especially, Mr. Burrell drove by in her phaeton, which he never failed coming to inform them of, though it happened almost every day. She not unfrequently stopped at the parsonage and had a few minutes' conversation with Charlotte, but was scarcely ever prevailed upon to get out. Very few days passed in which Mr. Collins did not walk to Rossings, but not many in which his wife did not think it necessary to go likewise, and till Elizabeth recollected that there might be other family livings to be disposed of, so she could not understand the sacrifice of so many hours. Now and then, they were honored with a call from her ladyship, and nothing escaped her observation that was passing in the room during these visits. She examined into their employments, looked at their work, and advised them to do it differently, found fault with the arrangement of the furniture, or detected the housemaid in negligence, and if she accepted any refreshment, seemed to do it only for the sake of finding out that Mrs. Collins' joint of meat were too large for her family. Elizabeth soon perceived that though this great lady was not in commission of the peace of the country, she was a most active magistrate in her own parish, the, the, min- the minutest concerns of which were carried to her by Mr. Collins, and whenever any of the cottages were disposed to be quarrelsome, disconnected, or too poor, she sailed forth into the village to settle their differences, silence their complaints, and scold them into harmony and plenty." The entertainment of dining at Rossings was repeated about twice a week and allowing for the loss of Sir William and there being only one card table in the evening. Every such entertainment was the counterpart of the first. Their other engagements were few, as the style of living in the neighborhood in general was beyond Mr. Collins's reach. This, however, was no evil to Elizabeth, and upon the whole, she spent her time comfortably enough... There were half hours of pleasant conversation with Charlotte, and the weather was so fine for the time of year that she had often great enjoyment out of doors. Her favorite walk, and where she frequently went while the others were calling on Lady Catherine, was along the open grove which edged that side of the park, where there was a nice sheltered path which no one seemed to value but herself, and where she felt beyond the reach of Lady Catherine's curiosity. In this quiet way, the first fortnight of her visit soon passed away. Easter was approaching, and the week preceding it was to bring an addition to the family at Rosings, which, in no small, cir- which in so small a circle, must be important. Elizabeth had heard soon after her arrival that Mister Darcy was expected there in the course of a few weeks, and though they were not many of her acquaintances whom she did not prefer, his coming would furnish one comparatively new to look at in their Rosings parties, and she might be amused in seeing how hopeless Miss Bingley's designs were on him, by his behaviour to his cousin, for whom he was evidently destined by Lady Catherine, who talked of his coming with greatness of satisfaction, spoke of him in terms of the highest admiration, and seemed almost angry to find that he had already been frequently seen by Miss Lucas and herself. His arrival was soon known at the parsonage, for Mr. Collins was walking the whole morning within view of the lodges opening into Hunsford Lane in order to have the earliest assurance of it, and after making his bow as the carriage turned into the park, hurried home with the great intelligence. On the following morning, he hastened to, he hastened to Rosings to pay his respects. There were two nephews of Lady Catherine to require them, for Mr. Darcy had brought with him a Colonel Fitzwill Fitzwilliam, the younger son of his uncle, Lord, and to the great surprise of all the party, when Mr. Collins returned, the gentleman accompanied him. Charlotte had seen them from her husband's room, crossing the road and immediately running into the other, told the girls what an honor they might expect, adding, "'I may thank you, Eliza, for this piece of civility. Mr. Darcy would never have come so soon to wait upon me.' Elizabeth had scarcely time to disclaim all right to the compliment before their approach was announced by the doorbell, and shortly afterwards the three gentlemen entered the room. Colonel Fitzwilliam, who led the way, was about thirty, not handsome, but in person and address most truly the gentleman. Mr. Darcy looked just as he had been used to look in Hertfordshire, paid his compliments with his usual reserve to Mr. Collins, and, whatever might be his feelings toward her friend, met her with every appearance of composure. Elizabeth merely curtsied to him without saying a word. Colonel Fitzwilliam entered into conversation directly with the readiness and ease of a well-bred man, and talked very pleasantly, but his cousin, after having addressed a slight observation on the house and garden to Mrs. Collins, sat for some time without speaking to anybody at length however his civility was so far awakened as to inquire of elizabeth after the health of her family she answered him in the usual way and after a moment's pause added my eldest sister has been in town these three months have you happened to see her then there she was perfectly sensible that he never had but she wished to see whether he would betray any consciousness of what had passed between the bingleys and jane and she thought he looked a little confused, as he answered that he had never been so fortunate as to meet Miss Bennet. The subject was pursued no farther, and the gentleman soon afterwards went away. Chapter 31 Colonel Fitzwilliam's manners were very much admired at the parsonage, and the ladies all felt that he must add considerably to the pleasures of their engagements at Rosings. It was some days, however, before they received any invitation thither, for while there were visitors in the house they could not be necessary, and it was not till Easter day, almost a week after the gentleman's arrival that they were honored by such an attention, and then they were merely asked on leaving church to come there in the evening. For the last week they had seen very little of Lady Catherine or her daughter. Colonel Fitzwilliam had called at the parsonage more than once during the time, but Mr. Darcy they had seen only at church. The invitation was accepted, of course, and at a proper hour they joined the party in Lady Catherine's drawing-room. Her ladyship received them civilly, but it was plain that their company was by no means so acceptable as when she could get anybody else, and she was, in fact, almost engrossed by her nephews speaking to them, especially to Darcy, much more than to the other person in the room. Colonel Fitzwilliam seemed really glad to see them. Anything was a welcome relief to him at Rossings, and Mrs. Collins' pretty friend had moreover caught his fancy very much he now seated himself by her and talked so agreeably of kent and Herefordshire, of traveling and staying at home of new books and music that elizabeth had never been half so well entertained in that room before and they conversed with so much spirit and flow as to draw the attention of lady catherine herself as well as of mr darcy his eyes had been soon and repeatedly turned towards them with a look of curiosity and that her ladyship, after a while, shared the feeling, was more openly acknowledged, for she did not scruple to call out. "'What is it that you are saying, Fitzwilliam? What is it you are talking of? What are you telling, Miss Bennet? Let me hear what it is.' "'We are speaking of music, madam,' said he, when no longer able to avoid a reply. "'Of music? Then pray, speak aloud. It is of all subjects my delight.' I may, I must have my share in the conversation. If you are speaking of music, there are few people in England, I suppose, who have more true enjoyment of music than myself, or a better natural taste. If I had ever learnt, I should have been a great proficient, and so would Anne, if her health had allowed her to apply. I am confident that she would have performed delightfully. How does, Georgian, how does Georgiana get on, Darcy? Mr. Darcy spoke with affectionate praise of his sister's proficiency. I am very glad to hear such a good account of her, said Lady Catherine, and pray tell her from me that she cannot expect to excel if she does not practice a good deal. I assure you, madam, he replied, that she does not need such advice. She practices very constantly. So much the better. It cannot be done too much. And when I next write to her, I shall charge her not to neglect it on any account, i often tell young ladies that no excellence in music is to be acquired without constant practice i have told miss bennett several times and that she will never play really well unless she practices more and though mrs collins has no instrument she is very welcome as i have often told her to come to rosings every day and play on the pianoforte in mrs jenkins's room she would be in nobody's way you know in that part of the house Mr. Darcy looked a little ashamed of his aunt's ill-breeding and made no answer. When coffee was over, Colonel Fitzwilliam reminded Elizabeth of having promised to play for him, and she sat down directly to the instrument. She drew a chair near her lady catherine listened to half a song and then talked as before to her other nephew till the latter walked away from her and making with his usual deliberation towards the pianoforte stationed himself so as to command a full view of the fair performer's countenance elizabeth saw what, what elizabeth saw what he was doing and at the first convenient pause turned to him with an arch smile and said You mean to frighten me, Mr. Darcy, by coming in all this state to hear me? I will not be alarmed, though your sister does play so well. There is a stubbornness about me that never can bear to be frightened at the will of others. My courage always rises at every attempt to intimidate me. I shall not say you are mistaken, he replied, because you could not really believe me to entertain any design of alarming you and I have had the pleasure of your acquaintance long enough to know that you find great enjoyment in occasionally professing opinions which in fact are not your own. Elizabeth laughed heartily at this picture of herself and said to Colonel Fitzwilliam, Your cousin will give you a very pretty notion of me and teach you not to believe a word I say. I am particularly unlucky in meeting with a person so able to expose my real character in a part of the world where I had hoped to pass myself off with some degree of credit. Indeed, Mr. Darcy, it is off with some degree of... Indeed, Mr. Darcy, it is very ungenerous in you to mention all that you knew to my disadvantage in Herefordshire, and give me leave to say, very impolitic too, for it is provoking me to retaliate, and such things may come out as will shock your relations to hear. I am not afraid of you, he said smilingly. Pray, let me hear what you have to accuse him of, cried Colonel Fitzwilliam. I should like to know how he behaves among strangers. You shall hear then, but prepare yourself for something very dreadful. The first time of my ever seeing him in Hertfordshire, you must know, was at a ball. And at this ball, what do you think he did? He danced only four dances, though gentlemen were scarce, and to my certain knowledge, more than one young lady was sitting down in want of a partner. Mr. Darcy, you cannot deny the fact. I had not at that time the honor of knowing any lady in the assembly beyond my own party. True, and nobody can ever be introduced in a ballroom. Well, Colonel Fitzwilliam, what do I play next? My fingers wait your orders.' Perhaps, said Darcy, I should have judged better had I sought an introduction, but I am ill-qualified to recommend myself to strangers. Shall we ask your cousin the reason of this? said Elizabeth, still addressing Colonel Fitzwilliam. Shall we ask him why a man of sense and education and who has lived in the world is ill-qualified to recommend himself to strangers? I can answer your question, said Fitzwilliam, without applying to him. It is because he will not give himself the trouble. I certainly have not the talent which some people possess, said Darcy, of conversing easily with those I have never seen before. I cannot catch their tone of conversation or appear interested in their concerns as I often see done. My fingers, said Elizabeth, do not move over this instrument in the masterly manner which I see so many women's do. They have not the same force or rapidity. And do not produce the same expression. But then I have always supposed it to be my own fault because I will not take the trouble of practicing. It is not that I do not believe my fingers are as capable as any other woman's of superior execution. Darcy smiled and said, You are perfectly right. You have employed your time much better. No one admitted to the privilege of hearing you can think anything wanting we neither of us performed to strangers. Here they were interrupted by Lady Catherine, who called out to know what they were talking of. Elizabeth immediately began playing again. Lady Catherine approached and, after listening for a few minutes, said to Darcy, Miss Bennet would not play at all amiss if she practiced more and could have the advantage of a London master.' She has a very good notion of fingering, though her taste is not equal to Anne's. Anne would have been a delightful performer had her health allowed her to learn. Elizabeth looked at Darcy to see how cordially he assented to his cousin's praise, but neither at that moment nor at any other could she discern any symptom of love, and from the whole of his behavior to Miss DeBorle she derived this comfort for Miss Bingley that he might have been just as likely to marry her had she been his relation." Lady Catherine continued her remarks on Elizabeth's performance, mixing with them many instructions on execution and taste. Elizabeth received them with all the forbearance of civility and at the request of the gentleman remained at the instrument till her ladyship's carriage was ready to take them all home. Chapter 32. Elizabeth was sitting by herself the next morning and writing to Jane while Mrs. Collins and Maria were gone on business and to the village, when she was startled by a ring at the door, the certain signal of a visitor, and she had heard no carriage, she thought it not unlikely to be Lady Catherine, and under that apprehension was putting away her half-finished letter that she might escape all impertinent questions, when the door opened and, to her very great surprise, Mr. Darcy, and Mr. Darcy only— "'entered the room. "'He seemed astonished, too, on finding her alone "'and apologized for his intrusion "'by letting her know that he had understood "'all the ladies were to be within.' Then they sat down, and when her inquiries after rosings were made seemed in danger of sinking of sinking into total silence. It was absolutely necessary, therefore, to think of something, and in this emergence recollecting when she had seen him last in Herefordshire, and feeling curious to know what she would say on the subject of their hasty departure, she observed. "'How very suddenly you all quitted Netherfield last November, Mr. Darcy!' "'It must have been a most agreeable surprise to Mr. Bingley "'to see you all after him so soon, "'for, if I recollect right, he went but the day before. "'He and his sisters were well, I hope, when you left London.' "'Perfectly so, I thank you.' "'She found that she was to receive no other answer, "'and after a short pause, added, "'I think I have understood that Mr. Bingley "'has not much idea of ever returning to Netherfield again.' I have never heard him say so, but it is probable that he may spend very little of his time there in the future. He has many friends and is at this time of life when friends and engagements are continually increasing. If he means to be but little at Netherfield, it would be better for the neighborhood that he should give up the place entirely, for then we might possibly get a settled family there. But perhaps Mr. Bingley did not take the house so much for the convenience of the neighborhood as for his own, and we must expect him to keep it or quit it for the same principle. I should not be surprised, said Darcy, if he were to give it up as soon as any eligible purchase offers. Elizabeth made no answer. She was afraid of talking longer of his friend and having nothing else to say, was now determined to leave the trouble of finding a subject to him. "'He took the hint, and soon began with, "'This seems a very comfortable house. "'Lady Catherine, I believe, did a great deal to it "'when Mr. Collins first came to Huntsford. "'I believe she did, and I am sure she could not have bestowed "'her kindness on a more grateful object. "'Mr. Collins appears to be very fortunate in his choice of wife. "'Yes, indeed, his friends may well rejoice in his having met "'with one of the very few sensible women who have accepted him or have made him happy if they had. My friend has an excellent understanding, though I am not certain that I consider her marrying Mr. Collins as the wisest thing she ever did. She seems perfectly happy, however, and in a prudential light, it is certainly a very good match for her. It must be very agreeable for her to be settled within so easy a distance of her own family and friends. An easy distance, do you call it? It is nearly fifty miles." And what is fifty miles of good road? Little more than half a day's journey. Yes, I call it a very easy distance. I should never have considered the distance as one of the advantages of the match, cried Elizabeth. I should never have said, I should have never said Mrs. Collins was settled near her family. It is a proof of your own attachment to Herefordshire. Anything beyond the very neighborhood of Longbourn, I suppose, would appear far." As he spoke, there was a sort of smile which Elizabeth fancied she understood. She, he must be supposing her to be thinking of Jane and Netherfield, and she, blessed, and she blushed as she answered, "'I do not mean to say that a woman may not be settled too near her family. The far and the near must be relative and depend on many varying circumstances. Where there is fortune to make the expenses of traveling unimportant, distance becomes no evil.' "'But that is not the case here. "'Mr. and Mrs. Collins have a comfortable income, "'but not such a one as will allow of frequent journeys, "'and I am persuaded my friend would not call herself "'near her family under less than half the present distance.' "'Mr. Darcy drew his chair a little towards her and said, "'You cannot have a right "'to such very strong local attachment. "'You cannot have always been at Longbourn.' "'Elizabeth looked surprised.' The gentleman experienced some change of feeling. He drew back his chair, took a newspaper from the table, and glancing over it said, in a colder voice, Are you pleased with Kent? A short dialogue on the subject of the country ensued, on either side calm and concise, and soon put an end to by the entrance of Charlotte and her sister, just returned from her walk, the tete-a-tete surprised them mr darcy related the mistake which had occasioned his intruding on miss Bennet, and after sitting a few minutes longer without saying much to anybody went away what can be the meaning of this said charlotte as soon as he was gone my dear eliza he must be in love with you or he would never have called us in this familiar way But when Elizabeth told of his silence, it did not seem very likely, even to Charlotte's wishes, to be the case, and after various conjectures, they could at last only suppose his visit to proceed from the difficulty of finding anything to do, which was the more probable from the time of year. All field sports were over. Within doors there was Lady Catherine, books, and a billiard table, but gentlemen cannot always be within doors, and in the nearness of the parsonage, or the pleasantness of the walk to it, or of the people who lived in it, the two cousins found a temptation from this period of walking thither almost every day. They called at the various times of the morning, sometimes separately, sometimes together, and now and then accompanied by their aunt. It was plain to them that, all Colonel Fitzwilliam came was because he was—he had the pleasure in their society, a persuasion which, of course, recommended him still more, and Elizabeth was reminded by her own satisfaction in being with him, as well as by his evident admiration of her, of her former favorite George Wickham, and though, in comparing them, she saw there was less captivating softness in Colonel Fitzwilliam's manners, she believed he might have the best informed mind." But why Mr. Darcy came so often to the parsonage, it is more difficult to understand. It could not be for society, as he frequently sat there ten minutes together without opening his lips, and when he did speak, it seemed the effect of necessity rather than of choice, a sacrifice, a sacrifice to propriety, not a pleasure to himself. He seldom appeared really animated. Mrs. Collins knew not what to make of him. Colonel Fitzwilliams, occasionally laughing at his stupidity, proved that he was generally indifferent, which her own knowledge of him could not have told her, and that she would like to have believed this changed the effect of love and the object of that love, her friend Eliza, she set herself seriously to work to find it out. She watched him whenever they were at Rosings and whenever he came to Hunsford, but without much success. He certainly looked at her friend a great deal but the expression of the look was disputable it was an earnest steadfast gaze but she often doubted whether there was much admiration in it and sometimes it seemed nothing but absence of mind she had once or twice suggested to elizabeth the possibility of his being partial to her But Elizabeth always laughed at the idea, and Mrs. Collins did not think it right to press the subject from the danger of rising expectations which might only end in disappointment, for in her opinion it admitted not of doubt that all her friend's dislike would vanish if she could suppose him to be in her power. In her kind schemes for Elizabeth, she sometimes planned her marrying Colonel Fitzwilliam. He was beyond comparison the most pleasant man. He certainly admired her, and his situation in life was most eligible. But to counterbalance these advantages, Mr. Darcy had considerable patronage in the church, and his cousin could have none at all. Chapter 33. More than once did Elizabeth and her ramble within the park unexpectedly meet Mr. Darcy. She felt all the perverseness of the mischance that should bring him where no one else was brought, and to prevent it ever happening again, took care to inform him first that it was a favorite haunt of hers. How it could occur a second time, therefore, was very odd. Yet it did, and even a third, it seemed like wilful ill nature or a voluntary penance, for on these occasions it was not merely a few formal inquiries and an awkward pause, and then away, but he actually thought it necessary to turn back and walk with her. He never said a great deal, nor did she give herself the trouble of talking or listening much, but it struck her in the course of their third rencontre that he was asking some odd unconnected questions about her pleasure in being at Hunsford, her love of solitary walks, and her opinion of Mr. and Mrs. Collins's happiness, and that in speaking of Rosings and her not perfectly understanding the house, he seemed to expect that whenever she came into Kent again, she would be staying there too. His words seemed to imply it, could he have Colonel Fitzwilliam in his thoughts? She supposed, if he meant anything, he must mean an allusion to what might arise in that quarter. It distressed her a little, and she was quite glad to find herself at the gate in the pales opposite the parsonage. She was engaged one day as she walked in pursuing Jane's last letter, and dwelling on some passages which proved that Jane had not written in spirits when... Instead of being again surprised by Mr. Darcy, she saw on looking up that Colonel Fitzwilliams was meeting her, putting away the letter immediately and forcing a smile. She said, I do not know before that you ever walked this way. I have been making the tour of the parks, he replied, as I generally do every year and intend to close it with a call at the parsonage. Are you going much farther? No, I should have turned in a moment. And accordingly, she did turn, and they walked together towards the parsonage. Do you certainly leave Kent on Saturday? said she. Yes, if Darcy does not put it off again, but I am at his disposal. He arranges the business just as he pleases. And if not able to please himself in the arrangement, he has at least pleasure in the great power of choice. I do not know anybody who seems more to enjoy the power of doing what he likes than Mr. Darcy he likes to have his own way very well replied colonel fitzwilliam but so do we all it is only that he has better means of having it than any than many others because he is rich and many others are poor i speak feelingly a younger son you know might be inured to self-denial and dependence in my opinion, the younger son of an earl can know very little of either. Now, seriously, what have you ever known of self-denial and dependence when you have been prevented by want of money from going wherever you choose or procuring anything you had a fancy for? These are some quest—these are home questions, and perhaps I cannot say that I have experienced many hardships of that nature, but in matters of greater weight, I may suffer from want of money. Younger sons cannot marry where they like. Unless where they like women of fortune, which I think they very often do. Our habits of expense make us too dependent, and there are too many in my rank of life who can afford to marry without some attention to money. It is, thought Elizabeth, meant for me. And she colored at the idea, but recovering herself, said in a lively tone, And pray, what is the usual price of an earl's younger son? Unless the older brother is very sickly, I suppose you would not ask above fifty thousand pounds. He answered her in the same style, and the subject dropped. To interrupt a silence which might make him fancy her affected with what had passed, she soon afterwards said, I imagine your cousin brought you down with him chiefly for the sake of having someone at his disposal. I wonder he does not marry to secure a lasting convenience of that kind, but perhaps his sister does as well for the present, and as she is under his sole care, he may do what he likes with her. No, said Colonel Fitzwilliam, this is an advantage which he must divide with me. I am joined with him in the guardianship of Miss Darcy.' are you indeed? And pray, what sort of guardians do you make? Does your charge give you much trouble? Young ladies of her age are sometimes a little difficult to manage. And if she has the true Darcy spirit, she may like to have her own way. And she, as she spoke, she observed him looking at her earnestly, and the manner in which he immediately asked why she supposed Miss Darcy likely to give him any uneasiness convinced her that she had somehow or other got pretty near the truth, she directly replied. You need not be frightened. I never heard any harm of her, and I dare say she is one of the most tractable creatures in the world. She is a very great favorite with some ladies of my acquaintance, Mrs. Hurst and Miss Bingley. I think I have heard you say that you know them. I know them a little. Their brother is a pleasant gentleman-like man. He is a great friend of Darcy's. Oh, yes, said Elizabeth dryly. Mr. Darcy is uncommonly kind to Mr. Bingley and takes a prodigious deal care of him care of him? Yes, I really believe Darcy does take care of him in those points where he most wants care. For something that he told me in our journey hither, I have reason to think Bingley Bingley, very much indebted to him. But I ought to beg his pardon, for I have no right to suppose that Bingley was the person meant. It was all conjecture. "'What is it you mean?' It is a circumstance which Darcy could not wish to be generally known because if it were to get around to the lady's family, it would be an unpleasant thing. You may depend upon my not mentioning it, and remember that I have not much reason for supposing it to be Bingley. What he told me was merely this, that he congratulated himself on having lately saved a friend from the inconveniences of a most imprudent marriage, but without mentioning names or any other particulars, and I only suspected it to be Bingley from believing him the kind of young man to get into a scrape of that sort, and from knowing them to have been together the whole of last summer." did Mr. Darcy give you reason for this interference? I understood that there were some very strong objections against the lady. And what arts did he use to separate them? He did not talk to me of his own arts, said Fitzwilliam, smiling. He only told me what I have told you. Elizabeth made no answer and walked on, her heart swelling with indignation. After watching her a little, Fitzwilliam asked her why she was so thoughtful. "'I am thinking of what you have been telling me,' she said. "'Your cousin's conduct does not suit my feelings. "'Why was he to be the judge? "'You are rather disposed to call his interference officious. "'I do not see what right Mr. Darcy had to decide "'on the propriety of his friend's inclination "'or why, upon his own judgment alone, "'he was determined to direct "'in what manner his friend was to be happy. "'But,' she continued, "'recollecting herself, as we know none of the particulars, it is it is not fair to condemn him. "'It is not to be supposed that there was such affection in the case.' "'This is not an unnatural surmise,' said Fitzwilliam, "'but it is a lessening of the honor of my cousin's triumph very sadly.' "'This was spoken jestingly, but—' it appeared to her to just be a picture of Mr. Darcy, that she would not trust herself with an answer, and therefore abruptly changing the conversation, talked on indifferent matters until they reached the parsonage. There she shut into her her own room as soon as their visitor left them. She could think without interruption of all that she had heard. It was not to be supposed that any other people could be met than those with whom she was connected. There could not exist in the world two men over whom Mr. Darcy could have such boundless influence that he must that he had been concerned in the measures taken to separate Bingley and Jane, she had never doubted, but she had always attributed to Miss Bingley the principal design and arrangement of them, if his own vanity, however, did not mislead him, he was the cause, his pride and caprice were the cause. Of all that Jane had suffered and still continued to suffer, he had ruined for a while every hope of happiness for the most affectionate, generous heart in the world, and no one could say how lasting an evil he might have inflicted. There were some very strong objections against the lady were Colonel Fitzwilliam's words, and those strong objections probably were her having one uncle who was a country attorney and another who was in business in London. To Jane herself, she exclaimed, there could be no possibility of objection, all loveliness and goodness as she is. Her understanding excellent, her mind improved, and her manners captivating. Neither could anything be urged against my father, who, though with some peculiarities, his abilities Mr. Darcy himself need not disdain, and respectability which he will probably never reach. When she thought of her mother, her confidence gave way a little but she would not allow that any objections there had material weight with Mr. Darcy, whose pride, she was convinced, would receive a deeper wound from want of importance in his friend's connections than from their want of sense, and she was quite decided at last that if he had partly been partly governed by this worst kind of pride and partly by the wish of retaining Mr. Bingley for his sister— the agitation and cheer and tears which the subject occasioned brought on a headache and it grew so much worse towards the evening that added to her unwillingness to see mr darcy it determined her not to attend her cousin's to rosings where they were engaged to drink tea Mrs. Collins, seeing that she was really unwell, did not press her to go, and as much as possible prevented her husband from pressing her. But Mr. Collins could not conceal his apprehension of Lady Catherine's being rather displeased by her staying at home. And that brings us to the end of chapter thirty. Three of Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. Thank you so much for listening here at Carla Reads the Classics. As always, I welcome your comments, your questions, and suggestions at Carla Reads the Classics at gmail.com. And if you enjoy the content here at Carla Reads the Classics, I ask for a small contribution to help the podcast continue to grow. It would be so, so very appreciated. Until next time.